And if you have your Bibles already, why don't you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Today is Palm Sunday, and it's the first Sunday in Holy Week. It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's a profoundly important time for Christendom all over the world, really. Uh, every, well not every, but many churches do it differently from one denomination to the next. And uh, I wanted to uh, read the story of the triumphant entry uh, into Jerusalem. And that's in Luke chapter 19. I'll comment on it just a little bit. But I want to tie it as best I can to a sermon that I actually began a couple of weeks ago. Holy Spirit took me away from my notes and just kept me expounding on the word. But I felt, I, me and the Holy Spirit, I, he, I made an agree with it, agreement with him. I'll follow you wherever you go. But uh, I got some pretty good notes. He went, yeah, I know, but that's not what I wanted you to do last week. And so we'll see if he allows me to do so this week. But it is Palm Sunday. Starting with verse 28 of the 19th chapter of the book of St. Luke. You get to your destination, say, I love the word. Awesome. After he said these things, he was going on ahead going up to Jerusalem. I always find it interesting that he knew what he was going into. He knew that this was the last few days of his life. He was about to give his life for each one of us so that we can um, sing songs of victory, so that we can have the victory, so that we can be free from sin, so that we could have healing, so many other things. What a wonderful thing. Verse 29, when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, there as you enter, you'll find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Now I find a just a, a litany of miracles going on here. He sends, he sends two guys and said, there's going to be a cult that no one's ever ridden. It's going to be tied outside. It doesn't say whether they knew that they were coming for the cult. It doesn't imply in any part of Scripture in any one of the four Gospels that the owner of the cult knew what, that it was all planned out, like you know Jesus had rented the cult for the afternoon. Uh, and so... All they were to say when the guy comes out is, hey, what are you untying my coat for? The Lord needs it. How, yeah, I know. Hey, how cool would that be to go through, life, not trying to steal other people's stuff and using the Lord needs it to get it, but to just be able to speak in that essence and people go, ah, oh, this is about my Lord Jesus. Wow. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Hey, why are you untying my colt? That's the Rick version, just so you know. And they said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. Mm. I even like that imagery. Uh, I mean, I, I just read it at face value. I don't see Jesus trying to figure out how to get on the colt. 
They put him on the colt. They lifted him up. What a glorious picture that each one of us should, should be living that in our life is that we lift up the Lord Jesus, that we exalt him. Sometimes in our, whole, in our own hearts, maybe we ought to just take a moment and sort of lift him up on the colt, so to speak. And he was, as he was going, they were spreading coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that word Lord there is actually uh, the Hebrew word um, that we would transliterate Yahweh or Jehovah God. So let's read, blessed is the king who comes in the name of Jehovah God, the ineffable name. The Jewish nation, even to this day, often won't even speak the name of God. In writings of those from, whether it's Messianic Jewish faith or the Jewish faith, they'll only, they, I've seen letters and, and writings where they would they put G blank D, so as to not speak the ineffable, amazing Name of God. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell them to be quiet. Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these stones, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. I often think about that in worship because that's what they were doing. They were worshiping God for Jesus. Notice, it doesn't necessarily say that they were there because they knew him to be the Messiah. It says they were there because of the many miracles that they had seen. So they're still figuring out this Jesus, but they're praising Jehovah God for him. Because many of them have said, who can work out miracles like this but a prophet of God? When we worship, and I know there's times of silence I know there's times of kind of keeping our mouth closed, if you will, but I enter into worship every single time I have an opportunity to worship, say the, the stones are going to stay quiet today. I will, not let a, I will not let a stone worship in my place. Think about that the next time you're in worship and you're thinking, I ain't going to sing. Really? You want to let a stone cry out for you? Jesus said to them, if these become silent, the stones will cry out because even the stones, even the earth knows who Jehovah is, knows who Jesus Christ is, and they cry out. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is enough to cry out and worship him? It ain't about whether you sing good. That's a, that's a praise team stage Aren't you glad they can sing good? Some of you don't even answer. Aren't you glad you're not up here on a microphone? But out there, I leaned over to Diane at one point. I said, oh, I love it when I can hear the congregation sing. Wow. It's a big deal. So don't ever let your mouth be kept silent when it comes time to worship. Because this, the indication is here. There's stones somewhere out, out there shouting praises unto God if you're not going to do it. 
When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Jesus wept over the city. I've often said as a pastor, oh, I pray that I don't pastor in a city that Jesus would stand on the metaphoric hillside and weep over the city. Imagine that in some respects he's doing that, but when he sees churches coming together like we're going to do on I Love My City Sunday, I got a feeling that he's looking over from the metaphoric hillside going, that's what I'm talking about. Amen? But he saw the city and he wept over it. And this is a very profound moment that each of us in Christendom should really capture for ourselves and say, boo, I don't want to let this happen in my life. Because it's the, reason, the thing is, is why Jesus was weeping. He saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. That's a, he was speaking of a prophecy about the destruction and annihilation of Jerusalem, which did happen. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Now let's listen, here, here is the moment of truth. Because you did not recognize the moment of your visitation. I, I pray with all of my heart that Jesus never looks over Resurrection Life Church and weeps because we didn't recognize the moment of his visitation. I don't want it to be a passing thing where, you know, we, I don't want it to be, a, we just come to church every Sunday and kind of go through the motions and do the stuff. We have a good time and we have great singing and I've been told we have good preaching. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and just go home and carry on. Because I believe Jesus is here to meet us every single week. Not just here. He's, with, he's everywhere waiting to have a, a meeting with you. And I, I wish that I could inject into each and every one of us this solemn heartbeat that says, Oh, Lord, I don't want you to weep because I missed you. I was talking to a brother, another minister from across the state, and he said, you know, I, I don't want to have Jesus bump into me, and I missed the fact that he nudged me. I missed the fact that he walked by me. I, didn't, I, I was too busy doing the church stuff that I forgot all about the fact that he's coming to visit. He's coming to change our lives. Amen? And these folks missed their moment of visitation. And I don't believe that the Lord Jesus wants to come just visit. I think he wants to come inhabit. To have a place that honors him and cries out to him. There's so many of us at so many different levels of ministry here and so many different levels of your Christianity where pride sets in and, you, you know, you don't dare come forward because, oh, my gosh, what if somebody else thought, what would they think about me if I and we went forward and sought God in that moment? They'd 
If you're leaders in the church, many times the leaders, quite frankly, in, in Diane, in my estimation, leaders who won't come into the presence of the Lord because they're afraid of what others might think about them, uh, really in many respects kind of disqualify themselves for leadership. They should be the first to say, I need help, Lord. We should all run to the Lord. And I'm not trying to pack the altars during prayer time. That's not my point. But we should be quick to run to the Lord and recognize that he is there for us. And I don't, I don't want to miss, I don't want the Lord to weep over not just this church, but this city. And metaphorically be standing on the hillside and weeping. And have somebody step up to us and say, what are you crying for, Lord? I'm here to visit them and they don't even know it. That should put a solemn truth in each one of us. It ain't about just coming to church and doing the church stuff. That's why I've often said that the one and only thing that I owe you as a pastor is an encounter with the Lord Jesus, an experience with Jesus Christ. Because if you come here just to get a church experience, you're apt to be left disappointed sometimes. But if you come seeking to have an encounter and an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, I will make a guarantee to you, you'll find it. He who searches for the Lord with all of his heart shall find him. That means, that means I'm not going to find him with a half-hearted search, but a whole-hearted search. Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem knowing what the ultimate outcome is going to be, knowing that in just a short time they would uh, uh, take him before a, a mock court and do a mock trial and condemn him to death. It was a triumphant entry and there were few, if possibly any, that actually knew who he was. He wasn't just a great rabbi who Jehovah God did miracles through. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God, the one sent to earth to die on earth for the sins of all mankind, for your sins and for my sins. And my sins were many and still are many. None of us are so holy as to think that the Lord just came to die for somebody else. Or none of us so Christian that now that we are Christian, no longer find ourselves emotionally captivated by the story of the cross. It's the triumphant entry, but it's the lead-in to a sad event. It's, a, it's a odd, there's an oddity here because it's the paradox of the fact that it's also the happiest event that took place in history of mankind that there was an ultimate sacrifice that Father God sent in His Son, Jesus Christ, for the sins of all mankind. From all the past, from all the present, and all the future. So I look at the triumphant entry, and I'm saying, praise God, but I understand that the people that were there, more than likely, didn't really know yet who He was. We know that because... Quite frankly, the disciples didn't even know until the very last moment of things. They were going to take him into the court, do a mock trial, and sentence him to death. But before death, they were going to beat him and torture him with great cruelties 
for you, for me. I know the triumphant entry sounds like a celebration day, and it has many celebratory points to it because he's coming into the city knowing that what he's coming to do is not just ride a donkey. That was to, that was to complete prophecy. There was prophecy in the Old Testament about Jesus doing this. He's not like, yay, a horsey ride. He wasn't like, oh, man, they honored me. They picked me up and set me on this colt. They're laying their colts, their coats out and the palm branches out in front of me. Isn't this awesome? I'm a superstar. He knew what he was going into. This was the triumphant entry to fulfill a prophetic word about him. But it leads to what we call Good Friday, which that's coming this, this Friday. This is why it's called Holy Week. I'm so grateful and I celebrate what the Lord Jesus did for me, but each of us, this should bring in some solemnity to recognize what this is the beginning of. Are you hearing me? Now, Obviously, before he went into town, he had already been talking to his disciples and sharing with them the things that were to come, sharing with them that he was going to go into Jerusalem and they were going to torture him and they were going to put him to death. He had already shared all that with them and they still hadn't understood what it truly meant because they were still expecting him to be the great victorious ruler that would overthrow the Roman Empire and return all of that to Jerusalem, they, did, they still didn't get it. And he had told them, look, this is important. I have to do this. He had shared with them a, a story about how he was going to go somewhere, a place where they could not go. And that, that upset them. They were like, where's he going to hide? They're, like, they're still not thinking spiritually they're still thinking, well, what do you mean you're going to go somewhere and we can't go there? And he was talking about the fact that when he ascends into heaven, that his purpose on earth had been complete to rescue earth, to re rescue people from their sins so that they can have a covenant with Father God. But he said, I have to go. One translation says, it's to your advantage that I leave. And he's having to say that to them because as a disciple, come on, Jesus, you can't leave. <coughs> We've only been walking with you for three years and it's been awesome. What do you mean you're going? He says, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, I can't send the promise of the Father to you. The promise of the great Holy Spirit. The disciples still didn't totally get it. And really we're not much different than them in so many respects, are we? The difference is, is that now we have the Holy Spirit and of course they went through their Pentecost experience. And I wonder, have you had your Pentecost experience? Because all of this is a part of the storyline. It's not just about a ride on a, on a colt into the city, into Jerusalem. That's the beginning 
of the finality of the story of Christ on earth, which should be a silent. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, see a song like that ought to just unravel you to think about it in the context of what's taking, what's taking place. So the Holy Spirit was announced, actually announced by the Lord Jesus by saying to them, I have to go. It's important that I go, it's important for you, it's to your advantage, this must take place for you, that I go, so that the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, can be fulfilled and sent to earth. And then of course he was, trend, he was ascended into heaven and they all watched, gazing up into the sky, we some of this that I'm sharing with you, well, I kind of preached about it this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I understand, but I could probably preach it every Sunday for a year and you'd still be like, really? Really? I never heard that before. They're still wondering. He said he was coming back. Just no, The angels even said, just like you've seen him go into heaven, that's so he's going to return. And so they're thinking, oh, yeah, cool. He's going to return and overthrow the Romans. They're still thinking that. That's still, and he said, go wait in the upper room. So apparently we're going to, 120 of us are going to go hang out in this huge upper room. And we're going to wait because he's coming back and going to overthrow and all the stuff. He, and they weren't even probably thinking about Holy Spirit. Although the scripture says, the promise that I've told you about many times. They still didn't get it. Do you get it? They missed their moment of visitation. Will you? Will we? Be so tied up in our religious accoutrements that we miss the visitation. I don't want to have a Christianity of remember when. Remember when the Lord did such and such? Remember back in the day? What happened between back in the day, the church of back in the day, and the church of today? What happened in this amazing chasm between the day of Pentecost and today? The Lord's church. Even a church like ours that would claim ourselves a Pentecostal church. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. What did the promise of the Holy Spirit actually announce? On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring mighty windstorm. A roaring mighty windstorm. Can I help you with something? A roaring mighty windstorm is not something easily missed. So they're all together in this room. I don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head how long they had waited. 
I mean, there's napkins going around the room, and there's windstorm, and they're blowing there. You know, Paul's hair is all blown out of place. No, Paul ain't even around yet. Peter's hair is all blown out of place. At least one of them was smart enough to shave their head, and they didn't have a problem with that. But the, come on, you, look at the picture. Imagine in this very moment, if a roaring, mighty, rushing wind came through this place. Think about it. Y'all going to look so funny because your hair's all sticking up. But I won't, praise God. This, oh, you ain't seen this one. It's all spread out, let me tell you. <laughs> and this roaring, mighty windstorm filled the house. Not just the upper room. Filled the house where they were sitting. And then this unbelievable occurrence took place then what looked like this is the only way it could be described then what looked like flames or tongues of fire that's why you always see the picture where it looks like a little um help me out what's the th a pilot light the little pilot light in a stove it's always burning down there right it's always there you never know it's there you can't tell the heat you don't even know that that pilot light is working until you turn up the thermostat and the thing fires up. So I get this picture of little pilot lights over the top of anybody, over, over everybody's head. Or at least it appeared so, right? And it settled on every one of them. Say every one of them. Say every one of them. Shout every one of them. Okay, at least I know you hear me. Was there anybody left out of the every one of them? Hmm. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. It is a part of the Pentecostal experience. Just saying. Some of you don't want it. Some of you are too proud to try it. Some of you were raised with the erroneous idea that somehow it was demonic. Many of you may have been raised with the false teaching that it was just for that moment. So I want you to notice a couple of the symbols or characteristics of Pentecost that day. There was the sound of a rushing wind, the sound of a mighty wind, and it speaks of power. When a mighty rush, a roaring, mighty rushing wind, it speaks of power. The mighty, roaring, rushing winds of hurricanes and of tornadoes are are absolutely destructive. But this mighty rushing wind was not one of destruction. So it's, it's going to come through and, 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 and it is detected because its manifestation is that which can blow everything down, but it can also be like a gentle breeze that, that um, speaks even in the heart. The second symbol was the one we kind of have a hard time really captivating, 
we can captivate the idea of a mighty rushing wind because we experienced, I got shingles that came off my roof because of mighty rushing winds. Right on? But I've yet had a pilot light on top of my head. Right? So the symbolism of the fire, though, was not a, because fire can be very destructive. It wasn't a symbolism of, of destruction. It was a, the symbolism of transformation. It wasn't going to destroy. It was going to transform. That's the problem with a lot of Christians nowadays. They're not, they have not been, yet been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Their spirit man has been transformed and or regenerated by the Holy Spirit, which means now you're born again, which is an awesome experience in and of itself, and what a miracle. But there's more. And don't tell me, all you Americans, you're not a society of, I just want more, except when it comes to God, because I'm happy with what I got. And Jesus weeps. Number one on your handout. What are you chuckling about? <laughs> oh, very, very nice, very nice, yeah. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit changes the recipient of the flame into a flame. Did you hear me? Some of you are like wet logs. Trying to burn and only putting up a smoke screen. What's supposed to happen when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the flame, whether metaphorical or not, captivates your spirit, it transforms you into a fireball. It turns you into a white hot flame for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. I want you to observe something from this scene, and this is important. Before I do... Um, Let's do a little exercise. I want each one of you to look at the top of your own head. Go ahead. I'd like to... You're not doing it. I'm... No one's... You're looking at me. I ask you to look at the top of your... Can you see the top of your head? Is there anyone in the room who has such... Other than the cameraman. Is there anyone in the room who has the weird ability to see the top of your own head? Anyone? The answer is no. Not a one of you, not a one of us can do anything with these eyes to see the top of our own head. But how many of you can see the tops of every other person's head? Now that's an interesting observation to me. That means that there was at least 119 people in there that one person could see 
the top of 119 of the heads, but could not see the top of their own head. So they had to figure by faith that since there was this flaming tongue on the top of everyone else's head, there must be one on my own head. Do you not know that receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a personal experience and a personal experience of faith? Many of you will... Please forgive me for saying it so absolute, but it, I think it bears some truth. Many of us, many of you, many will never experience this because they can't move past the fact they can't see the top of their own head metaphorically. If I can't see the flame on my own head, then I didn't get it. Wasn't for me. And all those other crazy holy rollers. Hey, I'm 66. I can begin to say whatever I want to say. Isn't that, doesn't that, is that a right that comes with growing older? I think? Yeah, right. By faith, I, I believe this. By faith, that one person who could not see their own head had to believe there was also a flame on their own head. And by faith, because everyone else had the flame, I must have it too. Then by the power and the utterance of the Holy Spirit, that one person as well. But what if that one person has said, I guess I don't have one. I don't know if it was me and I was in this room and all y'all got a flame on your head. I probably, Michael, do I have one on my head? Do I have one on my head? Tell me I got one on my head too. <laughs> but even that's not faith, is it? Because I'm... Number two, the promise of Pentecost carries with it the fact this is, this is important that they were all filled How is it that we come to a place to say this Holy Ghost stuff is wrong? We're just supposed to be proper in the house of God. I just got my, well, I didn't. I'm speaking about some of y'all. Well, I just went to the beauty shop just the other day and got my hair done. I don't want to muss up my hair. And heaven forbid I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Well, I'd have mascara running all down my face. And some of you sisters, too. I was just, I was just waiting for you to catch that one. I don't want to get all mussed up. I got to be dignified. I got to be proper. It has humor to it, but it's too sadly true. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all, they all heard the rushing wind. They all had a, what appeared to be a pilot light. Even that'll preach. The pilot light. And they all spoke in a different language. And I've often wondered, what did that really look like? And, I, and I've really come to this place in my 
it, my relationship and my experience with Christ and my study of the Bible, that the true miracle wasn't necessarily, there was a miracle that happened in the upper room. Don't take me wrong. But it wasn't just about this one was speaking Spanish and that one was speaking Chinese and that one was speaking Mesopotamian and that one was speaking et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They were all singing and praising in the language of the Holy Spirit. The miracle was the thousands of people that were there from every nation heard their language. That, my friends. See, the devil wants us to pigeonhole this whole tongue thing into, well, if you ain't speaking a language you don't currently know. Brother, do you know how to speak Russian? then you don't have the Holy Ghost till he comes on you and you start praising in Russian. Do you see how ridiculous that is? The miracle becomes he begins to praise in his heavenly language and the, the language of the Holy Spirit. And one of y'all here who can't speak American or, uh, or Russian, but excuse me, you only speak Russian and, only and you hear it in Russian. Don't tell me that's not a miracle. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that says to me that being filled with the Holy Spirit is available to every single one of us. It's, it's available to everyone. It's not like you're sitting out there going, no, nah, I guess I don't get it. Not me. That's for the preacher. Let him act all crazy. I'm just going to stay here and collect dust. There's none that are left out. Not a one of you, whether you like it or not, are left out of the possibility of the promise of the Holy Spirit that took, day, took place on the day of Pentecost. Not a one of us. There is a caveat, though. And that is you can only be filled to the level you allow. It's the Spirit's desire to fill my whole being. And it's the Spirit's desire to fill your whole being. To fill you to such a degree that you're, it's running out of you. Like a river, rushing river of water. Flowing. And it, 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 he wants to fill you so full that you burst with His presence out there in a cold, dark world. He, he didn't fill you just so you'd come in here and blow up. He wants you to come in here and fill up. So you can go out there and blow up. In our, in our day and age, probably not the right words that I should use. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All of you online, did you get me as well? Oh, praise God. But you'll only be filled to the, to the level you allow. I'm stopping. Many people are... Fi I, I've been in this thing for years, and I know what I'm saying is the absolute truth. There are so many people that I've run across in my ministry who are filled in every capacity but allowing themselves to release the faith to speak in another language. That's where they stop. That's where they draw the line. I'm okay with the gift of healing. I'm okay with the gift of 
knowledge, that's okay. I'm okay with the gift of uh, miracles, that's really cool. I'm okay with uh, uh, the ministry of helps, well, not so much. But anyway, um, that was just a jab, just so you... I'm okay with the prophecy, that's all right too. But that whole tongue thing, man, I'm stopping the Holy Ghost in my life right there. I want you to think about what you're stopping. What are you stopping? You should go to your prayer closet and say, Father, I don't understand this. In fact, Father, I've been taught differently all of my life. What don't I understand? Help me. Fulfill me. Give me revelation. I want to know. I want to be filled with every part of you. I want to be filled so full that it overflows everywhere I go. <clears throat> Am I done all right? Is everything okay? Thank you. It's God's desire that you and I are are filled to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. Can I help you? When you draw the line, you also draw a fill level line. Ever see the containers that got a fill level line? You got a fill level line. I'm praying that the power of God erases that fill level line. I'm not sure that I can expect and I shouldn't even, I suppose, expect God to do a day of Pentecost here at Res Life. I don't expect it to look exactly the same. That's where we mess up trying to say, here's what it's supposed to look like. Here's what the event should be. I'm looking for the time when a good portion of this congregation has erased the fill line. Just to see what Jesus might do in our midst. Because the old idea of revival, that which kindles the power and the presence of God in the hearts of people, the old adage is it starts in the heart of a man in his home. And then his home catches on fire with the Holy Spirit. And then his church catches on fire with the Holy Spirit. And then the community catches on fire with the Holy Spirit. I pray that uh, Resurrection Life Church is not a fire retardant because we got too many fill levels. Afraid of overflowing, I might splash on somebody and they're going to think I'm weird and creepy. Let me help you. You're already weird and creepy. So that's the promise, but there's a promise discrepancy, and the promise discrepancy is that things don't look today in the church like they looked then. I mean, consider the church in general. Consider our church. Consider yourself. Can any of us say that the spiritual condition of professing believers today at the moment corresponds to Pentecost? That's an easy, not really. Not really. The gap is so wide between what happened on that day, which was a promise for all generations, by the way, according to the scripture. So that should throw out the whole false teaching of it was just for then. I don't really need your amens because Holy Spirit's up in heaven right now. Just him and JC, Jesus Christ, are just high-fiving. Praise God, that's some stuff I wanted to hear. How about you, Dad? Did you like that? I liked it, son. 
Let me ask you this question, a question for us all. Does the current course of your life as a believer look as though you have been completely transformed by the Holy Spirit? Now, I used a power word there. And it wasn't transformed. It was completely. Can you, can any of us look at the current course of our life and say that you have been completely transformed. We know that happens spiritually. I get that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit to transform my spirit. The regenerative power of the Holy Spirit that makes me pure in the eyes of God. You and I can't fix that. That's totally on Holy Spirit. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. But now we've got a life to live. A life that expresses this inner no-fill line. Does the level of your devotion and your consecration in your life witness, does it witness to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you a walking miracle? Or are you a walking only? Are you a walking, well, fair to meddling, I reckon? Are you a walking, I'm doing all right, but... Or are you a walking supernatural? The church once flowed like a river of fire, like lava. It flowed consuming everything in its path. Straight from the throne room of God, this fire came and overcame the church of history. And every person who got close to that church was also consumed by that same fire. But over the course of many, many centuries, that lava has cooled. And it's barely moving. And it looks black and wrinkly. You can barely tell that there's any heat. There is some way down deep. But there isn't any that would move anything or anybody. Just a hint. So my question then, as I wrote this message, was, well, geez, uh, Holy Spirit, have you changed? Hmm. Not according to the scriptures, right? Same yesterday, today, and forevermore, I am God and change not. So apparently the Holy Spirit hasn't changed none. Then who's changed? We have. We have. And I'm not suggesting that all that changes by a bunch of hard-headed, stiff-necked, stubborn people. There are some that fit that category, but it's by previous teaching. The way you were raised in a specific, many of, we're a melting pot of different denominations sitting in this room. If you were raised Catholic, we do nothing in this church to denigrate the history of your Catholicism. Nothing. In fact, we find certain ways to celebrate points of that experience. And by and large, you will view scripture 
and your experience with God through that lens of Catholicism. If you were raised Methodist, likewise. If you were raised Presbyterian, likewise. If you were raised Episcopalian, likewise. If you were raised Pentecostal, likewise. And I came to a point in my life where I said, Lord, I don't want to view you through my, the lenses of what I just got through history and genealogy. I want, to, I want an encounter with you. I, I need to have my encounter with you. I, I want an experience with you, and I'm not moving till I get it. I've erased the fill line. I pray there's so much Holy Spirit coming out of me. There's laser beams out of my eyes and my nostrils and my mouth and my ear. Not every orifice, orifice, but just those orifices. It's like, it's like Star Trek all up in Rick's house. I don't know where some of that stuff comes from. But the discrepancy has been answered. In these last days that we live, as I begin to bring this to an end, we live in a time in a society where predominantly Christianity has worn out its welcome. Its day has come and gone in the respect of many. In fact, much of our society is canceling Christianity. Not canceling a lot of other religions, but certainly Christianity. That's the Antichrist spirit. But let me just say, that we shouldn't allow any doubt or fear that the gospel has somehow lost its power. Because the gospel message of the power of God to transform and change your life and save you is still as powerful as it was the day Jesus Christ died on the cross. The same as he was preparing to do as he rode into Jerusalem that day. There's not an expiration date. Number three, we shouldn't allow any shadow of a doubt that somehow the Holy Spirit is outdated. Or that somehow the Holy Spirit has become weak and ineffective. No, friends, the church has, out, has dated itself. The church has put itself into a position to be weak and ineffective. And in many churches, that's because they allow every possibility of every different type of religion and every different type of experience. And there's many ways to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus Christ. And he, and, he, and he left this earth for something. He left this earth so that you and I could experience the promise of the Father, which was the power and still is the power of the Holy Spirit. I wish some of y'all would erase the fill line in your spirit vessel and let yourself be filled to overflowing you need to be so filled that you walk through Myers or Walmart and Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit says go lay hands on that person because they're dealing with some stuff with their feet and you got the gumption and the umption to walk over there say, hey, Holy Spirit just spoke to me about your foot. You fall on your knees and grab their foot and begin to pray over it. Oh, y'all are like, I ain't gonna happen. You just exceeded my fill line. Holy Spirit has no fill lines. See, the reason we don't have those experiences is because we have a fill line in our vessel. 
I'm preaching like I have the Holy Ghost anyway. <laughs> oh. The Holy Spirit is a permanent gift to the church. He's a permanent gift. He's an irrevocable gift that will be for the church throughout all generations until Jesus comes. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you, there's another all-inclusive, every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and to your children and to all that are afar off. It's not just a promise for then. That promise is for today. We are all, so many of us are living far short of the level that we can live. We're living for, we are living far short of the level of power that is available to us as believers in Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about the power to change your world, but a power to change your own self. We, the Holy Spirit changes the inner man, but we change ourselves. And the Holy Spirit helps us, but He can only help me to the level I allow Him. He can only help you to the level you allow Him. Would you get rid of your fill level? For heaven's sakes. In closing, I want to read a powerful statement from a preacher, one of Britain's famous preachers of the late 1800s. His name was Alexander McLaren. And uh, I believe, is that on the screen? Is there, do we have that? Do I, yes, I did. Okay, good. So uh, you need to listen closely and read closely. It is not true that the gift once given varies in the degree in which it is continued. There is always the same flow from God. There are ebbs and flows of the spiritual power of the church, yes. And the tide runs out of your harbors. Is there any less water in the sea? Because it does. So the gift may ebb from man, from a man, the gift may ebb from a community, the gift may ebb from a church, but not because God's manifestation and bestowment fluctuates, but because our receptivity changes. Church, may our hearts be broken at the idea that Jesus would stand on the metaphoric hillside and weep because we missed his visitation. We limited our exposure, our experience of his exposure in this vessel. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord and do not change. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Number four on your paper, God has not changed his mind about the operations and manifestations of his spirit here on planet earth. Nowhere in the scripture can I see that he changed his mind on what he did at Pentecost to, to what he is willing to do today. You won't find that passage. He has not changed his manifestations 
or the operations of the Holy Spirit. They still stand intact today. Explosively intact for you and I who have kept the level mark. See, if the modern day church seems fruitless, if the modern day church, Brother Jonathan, are you still there? Can you come? Is he here? Where's he at? Okay, come on forward. Uh, come on forward, brother. If the modern church seems fruitless, and I know we're not fruitless, we really are a, a pretty powerful church. Yes, on the guitar, please. But we're not full. We're not awful. Not awful. We're not all full. Watch how your words join together. If the modern day church seems formal, and clearly we're not formal, if the modern day church seems powerless, and I don't believe we're powerless, but we are not completely powerful. It's the fault of the church and not the Lord of the church. Because the Lord of the church hasn't changed one little bit. Same Lord, same Holy Spirit of Pentecost. Different people. Different culture. That does not change the expression and the operation and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit just because culture has changed. It does not change the expression and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit just because your idea about Him has changed. I hope you're hearing me, beloved. The power that flowed forth from Pentecost has not lost itself in the sands of time. It's not weakened. The fire that settled on 120 people in that upper room has, has not died down to ashes. The mighty rushing wind that blew across Pentecost on that morning has not ceased. The same fullness of the Spirit that filled the believers on the day of Pentecost is still available to all of us today. If you can believe it and you can receive it, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God? <laughs>